discusses movies. Be aware that it may discuss any of the following elements. Endings, surprise twists, unexpected cameos, and all manner of spoilers. If this doesn't appeal to you, why listen to a movie podcast? Without further ado, please enjoy our feature presentation, The Shameless Picture Show. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Shameless Picture Show. Yeah. I guess this this is weird because when we're recording this, it's in between season three and four. Uh, I don't know if this is technically a bonus episode, if this is going to be a full-fledged episode. I don't know. I just know when the, the final Star Wars movie, at least the final Skywalker Star Wars movie is coming out, me and Kyle always talk, whenever we sit down to record, we always talk a lot about Star Wars before we hit record. Some of it makes its way into the episode, but I thought, I just want to give Kyle, who's probably the biggest Star Wars fan I know, just a chance to talk. We're going to talk about Rise of Skywalker. I figured we just talk about Star Wars in general and just see where the conversation goes. So, Well, and it's, you know, let's face it. If there's any movie that is on, like, people's shame lists, it should be Star Wars. Like... In a weird way, Star Wars is is pop culture cinema. It's like the essence of it. If you had to put, pick it in one movie, it's the original Star Wars, at least. Exactly. Um, so those of the, those of you who have not listened to every episode of the show, the voice you're hearing is my good friend Kyle Arpke. He is a, an independent filmmaker and freelance video artist here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and also the biggest Star Wars fan I know. Yeah, uh, we're sitting in my apartment um and we're sitting in the living room which is filled with star wars stuff it's honestly easier to pick out how much stuff isn't star wars (laughs) maybe i'll take some photos or you can take some photos and post them if you want We'll post them up on the instagram okay just come so everyone just so everyone can see um but it's interesting so you're talking about star wars being pop culture personified and it's it's still on people's shameless to this day um Star Wars is an interesting phenomenon because not was it on Jess's shame list when you guys met each other? Yes. And then now she's also equally as big of a fan. Yes. Yeah, so and I find that fascinating. Yeah, my fiance and I have been together for five years, getting married in 2020, which is exciting. Um, but uh, yeah, I I introduced her to Star Wars, and it's it's funny. So I actually sat her down about a year into our relationship because then. I think that's about when like they started announcing, ooh, Force Awakens is coming out and all this mm-hmm, stuff. Mm-hmm. And I told her, I said, so, uh, you know, I'm a Star Wars fan. And she's like, yeah, I know yeah, that. Heard. And I'm like, no, I don't think you realize just how big of a Star Wars fan I am. Um, and I say that because like in college... You know, we went to we went, went to, to experimental art school. art school. I'm not gonna sit here and tell people, you know, other artists that I love Star Wars. He's not. You didn't make the first impression <laughs> than I did. Uh, where on the first day, you never our first class, there was a, you know, like you know, what filmmakers do you like? You want what do you respect? What do you want to come to film school? And my, you know, everyone else is choosing like, you know, uh, pretentious directors or Christopher Nolan was a big one at the time too, because he was like mainstream, but pretentious yeah. at the same time. I remember I, I said, Sam Raimi and John Hughes. Nice. So you didn't, you didn't make the first impression that I did. No, I, th- I think I, uh, I 
gave Apocalypse Now as my favorite film or whatever at the time. Still on my shame list. Oh, yeah. It's, it's going to be an episode this, you this, I, this year. We got to watch that. That movie is so good. But anyway, um, yeah. So before college, maybe just to give people just an understanding of what kind of person I am. Uh, I went to an arts-based high school that allowed us to like do different projects, semester-long projects. And I had wanted to learn screenwriting. Yeah. So the way I taught myself screenwriting through this semester-long project was by writing episodes 7, 8, and 9 of Star Wars. So I ended up writing, and they were all very short scripts, but I ended up writing, I want to say, 180 pages in a semester. Wow. <laughs> and learning screenwriting that way. So I was that kind of nerd. And I was the kind of nerd who uh, almost got arrested at school for wearing a Darth Vader costume on uh, on the day that Revenge of the Sith came out. And my National History Day project was um, all about the marketing of Star Wars now it changed. I love, movies. I've known you for so long and I've never heard that you almost got arrested for wearing yeah. a Darth Vader helmet. Oh yeah, so that was great. <laughs> yeah. Basically, so we had like a, you know, they, high school's got like their one like cop or whatever that's on on yeah. premise or whatever and he was like he Ours saw was miss norville i forgot what this guy's name was i actually very surprised that i was able to pull that <laughs> out but yeah he saw me in the mask he's like you gotta take that off so i took it off and then i put it on when i walked you know i walked walked across the hall put it on and he caught me three times and after a third time he's like if you do it again i'm gonna arrest you and you just slowly put the mask down <laughs> yes that's right Give them the two middle fingers and and then you got a stunner. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I do have to say what's funny to me is so um, the entire time I love the slow, very slow progression of this apartment becoming a shrine to Star Wars. It started with like your pop vinyls in the front of the TV <laughs> and a couple little things, and then I feel like I just came over here one day and it was like Star Wars exploded. Oh yeah, well I had been waiting for a long time to get all of. All of the stuff that I have, like, framed. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot Frames of... Frames aren't cheap. No. Uh, so there's a lot of stuff here that's framed that's Star Wars, and that's stuff's really cool. But what had happened is, uh, you know, once I had the conversation with Jess, um, then, you know, within four, four years' time, I basically created another uber Star Wars fan. We've gone to two celebrations... Uh, we went to Galaxy's Edge this year uh, and the opening day. And then the way I saw Rise of Skywalker was we went to the El Capitan movie theater in Los Angeles and sat through a nine movie marathon um, capping off uh, Rise of Skywalker. I remember you said to me and Amanda one time that she's a... He's like, oh, I love talking to you guys because he's like, you're the biggest Star Wars fans I know. It's like, how is that possible? I don't think that's possible. I don't think that's even. I don't think that's even true anymore. It was probably true at the time when you said it, but it's like you are so much more. And like I always thought, I was a big fan of it. You are so much more than I was. Yeah, I am. I, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know many people that do know Star Wars as well as I. There's one or two, but their general knowledge of Star Wars tends to go like, like they have a lot of the like extended universe knowledge and that mm. kind of stuff which i sort of shy away from and that's probably because i'm a filmmaker 
So the films mean the most to me. Yeah. Um, so I, I can't tell you, you know, how tall an Imperial Star Destroyer is or Not who yet. is the general of the Battle of Sullust or whatever. I don't know that shit. But um, I do have an uncanny amount of Star Wars knowledge. And uh, I also really enjoyed um, learning about the history of Star Wars and what it did for the history of filmmaking. Uh, in college, going back a little bit to college, mm-hmm. um, one thing that was kind of sad, you know, I sort of lost a little bit of love for Star Wars in college because in many ways, Star Wars is what destroyed another era of filmmaking that I love, which is the sort of 70s auteur filmmaking. Yeah. Once Jaws and Star Wars happened, that, you know, that style of filmmaking then became indie cinema it was no longer something that you could just go and see at your multiplex the 80s like the type of movies that we made in the 80s are direct response to star wars and jaws and it's funny like it's 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 almost very sad and sombering when you listen to interviews of francis ford coppola and he talks because uh george lucas was his assistant up until he made star wars and he he's you know he says in inter- he says in interviews he said it multiple times that he's like George Lucas is one of the best minds I ever knew in film and Star Wars consumed his life so much that we're never gonna see he said people are not gonna see the genius that he was. I'm really sad when he sold Star Wars to Disney. Yeah, uh, w- there was one little thing that he said that really excited me, which was. Oh, now I'm going to go go off and make my own little movies, you know, in my basement. And he's or in my garage, you know, and people will probably never see them or whatever. And I thought that meant more along the lines of by people would never see them like they'd be really small indie movie kind of things. Like for Francis Ford Coppola after his big successes, you know, it's very hard to see the films that he's made in the last 10 years. You know, they were very hard to like yeah. Find in theaters. But I, but with that being said, you could find them. Yeah. Uh, Lucas hasn't made anything that I we was, know of. I was hoping he was going to make something kind of small, intimate, and personal. It's like, um, it's I, I, for lack of a term, I've been calling it the Tim Burton effect, where Tim Burton will make all these big, very Tim Burton-esque films, and he'll feel very detached and whatever, but then he'll go and make a you know something like big eyes or a big fish or something that's really personal and interesting and it makes me realize like, oh this is why this this guy is such an interesting filmmaker and i was hoping that like george lucas would have his big fish or something like yeah. that or because like he, he also made american graffiti which is such a different type of film like and then didn't i don't i don't think he directed i think he produced it with that movie red tails or something that he didn't do very well that. but like i want to see just i want to see him do something well and i figured that things would be more like thx 113 yeah and then like even just like and it also makes me roll my eyes now too like there was a period of time where george lucas's name was a fucking sin <laughs> yeah. and now people were like now the big news is like george lucas might be coming back to star wars it's like you guys wanted didn't want anything to do with him a couple of years ago and now you're hoping that a george lucas cut exists and all this other stuff. I was like, make up your minds. Let the man count his fucking cash and make something. I hope he wants to make something that's right. not Star Wars. Right. I hope he hasn't just been burned by the business. Because we'll talk about it more here in a little little bit. But the one of the reasons that I do have a weird respect 
for the prequel films is is George Lucas. They're the they're the most successful indie films of all time because he made them completely on his own dime in his garage, and you know that's part of the reason why some of the, why a lot of the effects in them are not the best because uh, not necessarily that they're bad, but he just didn't have yeah you know everything right. else he had in the other films. But it's like he's just like, no, I'm gonna make these films. And I have a lot of respect for that. Totally. Absolutely. And I, you know, it's being someone who, you know, was born in 1990. So, Ooh, Fan- me too. Yeah. Phantom Menace came out when we were nine. Yeah. So, Saw in the theater. We're in this place, like, we're in this place, period of time where uh, the prequels do mean something to us. Mm hmm. Um, and for me, I will always, to some extent, enjoy them all, mm-hmm. and I will almost always rewatch them all. I, I just did it. I just rewatched the prequels. Yeah, uh, and I, you know, I'm like, I'm someone who understands what they are. Like I'm a filmmaker. I go, okay, I, I see your pitfalls, um, and I, I'm content with people not liking them. I get it. I understand it. But I'll forever still have a love for them because they are part of star wars i, I feel like i'm a i'm, a, I'm labeled <laughs> very much now as a george lucas apologist okay and uh i'm a defender of the prequels i'm not saying that the that the best star wars movies ever made i'm not saying that by the long run if you even just look at my ratings for them they are rather low on the grand scheme of things but i feel like people have a hard time finding anything of merit in the films to the point where like, I, I was saying to this to you the other day at a hockey game it's like i've seen people online that were like no matter how much they hate say the new films that are coming out they'll always have to add comma but they're better than the prequels yeah and like while the the, the quality of the new films is in fact better than the prequels right i will say i will rewatch any one of those three prequels before i rewatch rise of skywalker this is a good intro right into Rise of Skywalker, I guess. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh, I uh, I guess, yeah, I mean, let's just talk about Rise of Skywalker here. Um, the elephant in the room. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, I saw it after... You saw it probably in the best possible way you've yeah, ever seen right, it. Yeah, right, after seeing it for 20... Seeing 24 hours worth of movies. <laughs> well, maybe even the worst, because yes. I feel like... So, by that point, you're delirious. Exactly. So, this is... Uh, yeah, I saw it the first time in that situation and then the day after um still at the El Capitan no we went to the IMAX um the IMAX at uh, Universal Studios Ooh, City, City Walk, Walk? Nice. which is oh it's so awesome uh just a, an aside this podcast is all asides oh, okay good <laughs> so everyone should go there and they should go there and watch the trailers because I nerded out seeing the like you know like the fonts in the trailers like oh coming next summer like when you see that font i was nerding out because it was huge (laughs) it was just so huge and i'm like this is so cool every single one of the movies that they played like trailers for looked like they were gonna be the greatest fucking movie ever (laughs) (laughs) that sounds awesome so yeah it was uh yeah that's so i saw it you know uh after going through a huge marathon and then slept. And then the next day I saw it in IMAX and then I've seen it one more time. 
Um, and at this point, at the point of, of recording this, I've seen it twice. Okay. And the second time, I was going to see it a second time anyways, yeah. but I rushed to see it a second time before we did this by request of you. But I was going to see the second time in the theaters no matter yeah. what. I, I kind of have to. Jess and I said to each other that we'd see it a third time. And then when I knew we were going to do this podcast, I went out and saw it. Um, the first time I saw the movie... I absolutely hated it with a passion. I think your exact words were, I think I hate... You even said at this point. At this point, I think I hate it the way that people hate The Last Jedi. Yes. And me and you both genuinely like The Last Jedi. Yeah. Uh, and that's a perfect film, but right. I it's one of my favorites of the new ones. Yeah. And that's one that like did have to grow on me a little bit was Last Jedi. Yeah. But I'll say, like, I... And I'm sure we're going to talk a lot about this throughout this conversation. I really hate how sort of divisive everyone is mm-hmm. with all of these films that are coming out. Everyone hates Last Jedi like it's ruined Star Wars. They hate the prequels like it's ruined Star Wars. I was kind of disappointed in myself that after I saw Rise of Skywalker the first time, I went, this ruins the new trilogy. This is this was a waste of, you know, how many years of making new Star Wars movies. That's literally how I felt the first time. The second time, seeing on the big IMAX screen, I went, I think I'm content with this movie. However, the third time, I went back to going, no, this movie is not good. I remember my first thought, well... When we saw it. So this is a spoiler-ridden podcast. I'm just going to say it now. If you've not seen Rise of Skywalker, we're going we're to talk about shit that's happening. Well, one, my thought when the, when the movie ended was was literally, this movie's dog shit. And you, I'm not that negative no. of a person. It's funny because you're actually, I consider you to be someone who's very lenient on films in general. Yeah, and and we're going to get back to that. Like if I would have recorded this podcast right after I saw it, <laughs> it would have it, wouldn't have been good. I always take a little time to, to stew on it first because I'm I'm not the type of person who's just going to be positive for the sake of being positive. But at the same time, I try to think from from I'm trying to be relatively critical. Where even if I'm a firm <clears throat> believer that nothing's there's very few times where I feel like a movie's been a waste of my time. There's something about it that I like. But I remember my my, my wife Amanda is also a pretty lenient viewer. It's very rare that she says. I didn't like this movie or this movie's bad or something like that. She'll like, "Eh," but she's usually, you know, she likes most things. It's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, in the middle of rise of Skywalker, when they're, when Kylo Ren and Ray were having their lightsaber fight on the death star, the ruins of the death star. Second death star. Yes. When, um, which I was, I was hoping that they were going to, um, do do a little bit more with that, but they didn't. But uh, when you know Ray stabs Kylo Ren and then heals him, and they're like hinting at a kiss, Amanda told she's leaned over to me. She's like, "If they kiss, I'm fucking leaving." And she's like, "I don't know how to tell Michael that I'm walking out of a movie <laughs> because she's never walked out of a movie. I've only walked out of one, and it was the John Cusack Raven movie." And I walked out because I was falling asleep in the theater. Nice. Uh, so, I mean, further spoiler alert, they eventually do kiss. Oh. Right? 
<laughs> and I'm, it, 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 that that pissed off Amanda too, but she said at least it didn't happen earlier. Yeah. So the theater during the marathon. Yeah. Tell me about the atmosphere there. Yeah, it's fascinating. What did Josh Gad think of the movie? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I should say that <laughs> Josh Gad sat right behind me during the. He didn't. He didn't come for the whole marathon though. Not to out Josh Gad here, but he only came for the the final trilogy. Just, just saying. He, when you're Josh Gad, you can show whatever uh, the fuck you want. I guess he's Olaf. <laughs> yeah, but he sat right behind us. It was very entertaining just to like know that I'm like, oh yeah, this is a total like Hollywood thing that would happen. Here's an aside about Josh Gad, real quick. He was in a, t- a one season TV show with Billy Crystal that I think was very underrated called The Comedians, where they play each other they they're josh gadge playing himself Billy chris was playing himself and it's about two guys who don't like each other who have to be in a tv show together that's fun it was it's 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 not revolutionary in any way but i really wish i would have got a season two anyways continue nice. and i should after we're done recording this i got more la like la dirt stories la stories that were just weird fun things from my trip there but cool. uh but with we this... can always put it on at the end of the episode oh yeah that's true but this marathon the you know the prequels start and the the uh, the whole thing like when we started this thing was like are the friends that we went with they generally try to sleep through the prequels and a lot of the theater tends to do that or they'll start they'll laugh during the prequels they almost treat it like a like a showing of the room you know where you go and kind of heckle disrespectful. Yeah, it's a little like, disrespectful don't get me wrong there's some <clears throat> dumb shit in those movies yeah. and it's okay to laugh like me and Amanda have been quoting Anakin Sand's speech ad nauseum. It's terribly great. Right. But, so, but yeah. yes. So basically everyone would laugh at the bad dialogue in the films. Uh, they'd laugh at that or they'd laugh at things that were like prequel. Like there's a, was it, there's a section of Reddit called prequel memes where it's a lot of memes uh, on some, the prequel there's, films. There's some pretty decent ones. Yeah. So any lines that like are derived from that, there's a lot of laughter. That would happen from those. Uh, during Rise of Skywalker, I kind of, not to be melodramatic or overdramatic, but I kind of sat there in horror because people were cheering at everything, including the kiss. So much of that theater was just like... Hashtag Raylo. Yeah, they must have been these Raylo people that were like, whoa, yeah, they kissed. And I'm like, I'm just sitting there like in dread being like, this is the stupidest thing. This is not where the story was headed. Like, what are you doing? How was the crowd reaction to the Palpatine reveal? Yeah, I mean, people enjoyed that quite Ugh. a bit. I mean, they enjoyed pretty much everything that you, like, would think they would... People could, like, people, Like, the joke's been going over. around online. It was a movie written by Reddit. Yeah, right, right. Uh, and it was very strange to be like, oh, that's the audience I'm sitting here with. Like, out of hardcore Star Wars fans, they're the, those hardcore It Star felt Wars like fans. to me, like, the, like those memes you see where, like, I let a bot watch a thousand hours of something and they wrote this movie. <laughs> that's kind of how this movie felt to me a little bit. Uh, the IMAX experience was much different. Okay. So that was an audience that looked like everyday, you know, moviegoers yeah, that yeah. just wanted to go and see a Star Wars movie. Whereas the marathon crowd, like 80% of the crowd cheered for the kiss, maybe maybe 20% of the crowd cheered for the kiss in the IMAX hmm. the next day. I feel like I go to boring movies. No one cheers at movies anymore, at anything I go to. Uh, 
anytime you see Star Wars opening weekend, you're going to get a lot of that kind Fair of point. stuff. Fair point. Uh, especially opening day. And I think that's probably true for the Marvel films, but I, I'm not oh, sure. No. Yeah, I haven't seen them opening day. Um, I saw one opening day. Yeah. It was Thor. Halfway through the movie, the film the film got eat up in the projector. Which is probably... A it was great. Race. It was at a great moment, too, because it was like right when they're trying to pull out the hammer uh, from the crater. And, like, Stan Lee's can't... Like, they break off the bumper from the truck, and Stan Lee looks out. I was like, is like, did we get it? And then the fucking film rips. And I was like, that's the best placement for it. That was great. <laughs> that's great. So... I guess I don't know where we want to start with with Rise of Skywalker. I think we should just start with the beginning of it, which is where you can, you can already make criticisms from the opening crawl. Okay. And my biggest problem with what was that first line? What was that? I cannot remember the verbatim. The dead have that spoken. was it. And I just remember right. rolling my eyes at that. So that line is bad. But what's really bad about it is th- what the crawl is about is what the movie should have been about. So. Instead of just telling us that, hey, Palpatine is alive now, what if you, like, they had to go and f- find him and figure out he's alive? Yeah, especially because we never figured out how they found out. Was, you know, yeah. um, um, later, uh, only a couple scenes later, Poe has his whole speech, Palpatine's alive. And it's like, well, we know this. Mm-hmm. At this point, why do we have to tell everyone? And, it, well, you know, they I guess they got to tell everyone because... As an audience member, you don't believe it. You're like, it's just not a believable thing. And it, they don't, with that, even that being said, them saying that Palpatine's alive doesn't make it seem believable in the story either. It's just like... I don't know what was funnier for me. The fact that Palpatine was indeed alive or the vat of Snokes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, what's with, with these vat of Snokes? <laughs> and they're just like... <laughs> right. they're just, they all look just so fucking dumb. Which less... Here's another thing with the Vat of Snokes. The, the filmmaking... That's our new band name, Vat of Snokes. <laughs> Vat of Snokes. The filmmaking in this movie is a little strange to me. Yeah, because so, J.J. Abrams is a very com- a competent director. Yeah, you'd think so. You'd think like, that. Well, I guess I should say, I really liked Super 8. Yeah, And I, I liked his first Star Trek, so... I liked his first Star Trek. Um, I did have this conversation with Jess, though. Uh, this is kind of an, another aside, but it's still Meh. Star Wars related. Uh, when you look look at, have you seen Mission Impossible three that he made? Yeah. Okay, you've seen Star Trek. Yeah. You've seen Star Trek Into Darkness. Once, but yeah. Yeah, me too. It existed. You've seen Force Awakens. You've seen this new Rise of Skywalker, right? I'm actually I'm gonna say besides the Millennium Falcon, like going through the Star Destroyer in Force Awakens and the lightsaber duel in Force Awakens, name me an action scene that he has made that you're like, <coughs> hell yes, I need to watch that action scene again. The only one, I don't even know if it's necessarily a scene I need to watch again, but the only one that really sticks out to me was in the first Star Trek, the, uh, for like a return, the parachute scene. When they're like okay. outside and they're like, I think they're trying to repair something. And I'll give you that one. I will. That, I forgot about pro- that. that. I'll that's give you a, that. That's a pretty good scene. It's 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 the scene that sticks out the most to me in that movie. Totally. I've totally forgot about that scene, but now that you bring that back up, I'm like, yeah, yeah, that scene's great. Uh, for the most part, though, it's like, out of all the Mission Impossible movies, somehow, even though it's a good film, the action isn't remarkable. Well, do you remember when we were... T- um, I don't remember when... 
I told you about this, but there's a, a theory in screenwriting and just crafting an action scene together called Good News, Bad News. I don't think so. Um, so Good News, Bad News is if you think about a, a well-crafted <clears throat> action scene, it doesn't have to be like necessarily like a big set piece or anything, but just to to create tension in a scene, it's called Good News, Bad News. So it's used Solo as an example because the first time it was described to me, they used this scene as an example. Okay. Beginning of Solo. When Han is uh, has to take um, uh, the 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 stuff he was supposed to steal back to that slug lady, yep. I don't remember any of the characters' names at the yeah. moment. Um, and uh, I'm gonna kind of br- run through this, but the situation is like uh, it's like oh sorry things didn't go go very well. Um, well, bad news we're gonna kill you. Well, good news for you I've got a detonator. Bad news, I know that's a rock. Good news is I'm going to throw it and break a window and and, and light's going to come down and I'm going to be escaped. Bad news is they're going to chase after me. Good news is there's a speeder and I can get away. Bad news, they've also got speeders. And it's like yeah, a series yeah. of good news, bad news. And even the movie The Peanut Butter Falcon, which I ta- we talked about um, off mic, I guess, technically, um, they had that where like, oh no, Shia LaBeouf has pissed off these these rednecks. They're coming out. Bad news, they're they're coming after him. Good news is he's got his boat right there. Bad news is he can't get the start. Good news is he does get the start and he gets away. Bad news, they've also got boats. Good news is he's a little further away. Bad news, there's a there's a, a knocked out per like, you know there's yeah, a sure. sleeping person in this thing and it kind of goes like, oh, good news, he's got he's hiding in some reeds. Bad news, they're right there. Yeah. When I was watching um. Um, Rise of Skywalker, I was using, I was, um, this, I watched it the second time when I'm actually like looking for some of this stuff. I, it was the scene, it was the, they have jetpacks now scene. Where, jetpacks now? <laughs> I'm not going to lie, that, that beat made me laugh. Um, where, um, you know, they're, they're trying to get away and not saying you have to do the good news, bad news thing to try to create tension, but it would do it for a little bit of like, oh, good news, you know, bad news, they got jetpacks. Good news, we're a little further ahead. But then it would go, bad news, bad news, bad news, bad news. Good news, good news, bad news. But it, it, was, it was very weirdly paced. Well, the whole movie is very weirdly paced. But so yeah. my one point, you know, is J.J. Abrams can sometimes craft really good action movies, even though the action is not always memorable. Mm-hmm. And that's definitely true of Rise of Skywalker. Um, yeah, I agree. The The whole movie is paced really weird. There's also like really easy things that you could do that would get an audience that he doesn't do. So I was kind of going back to the Snoke thing. Um, the Snoke in the, in the vats or whatever. The vats, the vat of Snoke's. That could have been a really cool reveal shot if Kylo Ren, like, walking into this area and all of a sudden, boom, whoa! Oh, yeah, what? but instead it's, it's like, it's a it's background gag. And then you, like, cut back and you go, oh, it's Snoke. It's a vat of Snokes. And you could have used, I guess I, I use that as, you know, that's very traditional storytelling. But at the same time, what's good about it is it's connecting Kylo Ren back to Snoke. That relationship that we know that they have Mm -hmm. could have been amplified a little bit more yeah and there is none of like that in this movie of like letting an audience remember like giving them a chance to go oh yeah this person you know this this guy's connected to his past or whatever Mm -hmm. 
it just goes and goes and goes. Um, it does a bad job of being a sequel to The Last Jedi. Yeah. Some people say it does a good job. I think it does an awful job of being yep. a sequel to The Last Jedi. Uh, the other thing that it does that um, to me is the the cardinal sin of making sequels is I don't think that it adds anything to it, it the the new trilogy now almost it almost takes away from Star Wars to me like having if you end the tri- if you end the Skywalker saga at six movies at Return of the Jedi uh it's such a great ending people can talk about how it's maybe not the most perfect Star Wars movie yeah that's true but it's the perfect ending to that story. Yeah. And if you're going to make a sequel series, then you've got to have a better than perfect ending. You've got to add something that's worth adding so that when people watch all nine of these movies, they go, oh, yeah, it was worth seeing these extra three because it adds more to this overall story. I almost feel like it's, it subtracts it. Um, it turns Jedi into this weird... It basically turns them into superheroes. Oh, that's one of my biggest complaints about it. Both the Jedi and the Sith. Yeah. Everyone is so overpowered. Right. Like, I never, I don't like, I didn't, I didn't like when when Force Awakens happened and everyone was referring to Rey as a Mary Sue because I never really viewed it that way. I didn't either. But I just, I, I don't believe that the amount of power she has in this movie could come from the amount of training that she's had. Yeah. Um. Not saying it's not possible, but it's, just silly. it's 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 especially too because like so I don't buy the I I mean I I it's I, it's, <clears throat> I don't I don't disbelieve that Leia had Jedi training from Luke that yep. I can buy I can get that completely because she is she did she was strong with the Force, uh she just didn't know how to channel it I just have a hard time believing that she can learn so much from just Leia where Luke who had to figure most of this stuff out himself using the Jedi texts even he didn't feel comfortable enough with his with his abilities so and I know some of it does come down to natural gifted abilities but then like I I rolled my eyes practically out of my head when I'm supposed to believe that Palpatine's so powerful that he can destroy like dozens of ships with force lightning right yeah, I mean the whole thing is ludicrous. Or even the 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 tug of war with the spaceship, like anytime someone had to lift anything heavy with the force in any of the previous films, even Yoda, who's we're always meant to believe to be the strongest force user of all time, has difficulty. Struggled lifting heavier things, but she's just gonna with ease, you know, stop that ship from going somewhere. It's super strange, and they do like they prime you right off the bat. Of like you see Ray is like hovering, you know, when she's training, she's like hovering in midair and does all these kind of, kind of crazy sort of training things, and you're like, oh, she's really powerful now. But then it's just like, oh, she's really powerful, and now she can pull down ships, and now she can heal things. It reminds me of that Freddie Prince Jr. video where he ranted about Star Wars, and he pretty much said that video games have fucked people's view up of what the force is well the whole movie's a video game yeah it's like it's so weird it's like two and a half hour or more than two and a half hours and is it, everything goes by so quickly 
You can't stick around with anything. You can't let anything breathe. And none of it makes sense. And it's just like, oh, well, you know, it's basically like going, it's like Tomb Raider or whatever. It's like, oh, hey, you got to go get this thing. In order to get this thing, you get this sword to go on this ship and to get this it's, it's what uh, I said. Wayfinder thing. It's what I said to you at the, at the, at the hockey game. And it's not a quote that it's not an original me thought. Um, the, 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 the horror host and film critic, Joe Bob Briggs, he <coughs> says it all the time in his reviews. There's, there's a lot of plot. Um, there's too much plot for the story. There's much more plot. How did exactly he, he, he words it in a very specific way. The plot's getting in the way of the story. It's totally There's so much, you know, point A to point B. And then when it comes down to it, none of it matters. And I don't view that as a plot hole because that was the whole thing of, of, of Raiders of the Lost Ark is the Nazis were going to get melted no matter what. Yeah. It's just like we, we're going on all these crazy adventures with all these weird characters that we've never seen before. And then it's like, oh, if we would have just put a switch into this little robot, we could have figured out how to get there this entire time. When anyone asked the talking robot. Oh, that 3PO or, thing. Or the C-3PO thing. So that annoyed me for a couple reasons. One, the C-3PO was like, I'm, you know, looking at all my friends one of the last times, like, you haven't known these people that long, 3PO, let's be real. And two, um, so, okay, he has a he has a thing built into a system where he can't um, translate text from the Sith. What the fuck did Anakin put that in that robot? Anakin built that robot. Yeah, when he was a little kid. Yeah, I'm just surprised he built that failsafe. Um, and then, and then, like they, they, so it's like, okay, you're gonna have to give up your entire consciousness if you do this. Well, I'm gonna do this because it's what's best for the mission. Ah, later on, he's he's back to normal. So, or or, or the oh, Chewbacca thing. Oh yes. no, Chewbacca's dead. Almost forty seconds later, ah, he's fine. Yeah, it it has no stakes. No, and then especially because they can heal fucking people. And that's the that's where it takes it. And you know, I I will say this. Because I'm going to contradict myself a little bit. That's okay. I do it all the time. Um, I think that healing really works in Mandalorian. It works really well with Baby Yoda. Especially because it seems like something that he can't just do. It it, it wears him out. And people are going to say to us, well, you can't just heal anyone because, you know, Ben Solo dies by healing Rey. That's that's technically what they're trying to questions say. Questions about that later on too. Which is fine in the like I get it, but it's just a bad it's a bad thing to introduce to Star Wars. That itself is a plot hole because I think people misuse plot hole all the time. If if it can be explained using the logic of the world that you've established, it's not technically a plot hole. The reason that's a plot hole is because I don't feel like they know even know the rules for how healing works yet. Because you've already got, like, you know, you've got Force Ghosts. They're basically giving, you know, Star Wars has, like, oh, it's, it has an afterlife, right? Yeah, well, and I always took it as a Force Ghost as a person <laughs> who intentionally gives themselves to the Force. It's not quite dying. Sure. It's, you know, since Force is an, an energy, a feeling, yeah. you're giving yourself into it. Yeah, but that's as far as it needs to go. Mm-hmm. Like, because you still need to have consequences for things. Um, and it just turns it into a superhero movie by not having it. Yeah. So that's a big thing. The uh, the 3PO stuff, there's a few things that annoy me about the 3PO stuff. I will say I do love the fact that Anthony Daniels had more to work with. Because throughout this whole secret trilogy. And if I'm not wrong, he shows up in one scene with no, with, in, in, as himself, as a fighter pilot. 
oh, I think you might be right. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he's he's one of those guys that I think kind of got the short end of the stick with the sequel trilogy in general. But he gets some stuff to work with here, and I like that. However, the minute, like... The entire time, Amanda kept saying, why are they bringing 3PO? Why are they bringing yeah. 3PO? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, once he's like, oh, hey, uh, yeah, I can't speak this Sith language, but this stuff is in my memory banks, and I know the way to this place. And I'm like, I mean, I've ridden the Star Tours line, 3PO uh, ride. He knows how to drive a ship if you need him to. <laughs> why doesn't 3PO drive a ship? Or why don't you help him get you to your location because he has the coordinates do we really have to go on another side quest to go figure out how to get this information out of c-3po and i will say it's it's funny that this movie is a movie full of side quests considering the thing that everyone's uh, so many people seem to hate about last jedi was the size side quest with finn and rose but this movie is just all side quests yeah and one the thing like people don't like last jedi because they can't get over what your expectations are for a film mm-hmm and the whole point of Last Jedi is that... Subvert those expectations. Exactly. And it does it, for the most part, pretty well. I don't... I also, for the most part, don't like the side quest of uh, Finn and Rose. Mm-hmm. But I don't... Like, what it does, what what it leads to, I don't mind. Like, this idea that they fail. Like, you spend all this time, them doing all this stuff, and it completely fails. Like, I like that idea. Yeah. I just don't think the execution of it's great. But I thought the planet was interesting, but it didn't really help the story. Yeah, yeah, and it's a little too heavy-handed, um, some of that stuff. But it's, yeah, it's just how to. Uh, what what do I want to say now? It, the ideas of rise, you know, like the idea of doing that as a as a plot line, I think is a great idea for a plot line. Mm-hmm. Rise of Skywalker, I just don't think the plot lines are good. No, and then what it also annoyed me about Rise of Skywalker, they tried to take themes that Ryan Johnson was working with in The Last Jedi and almost try to be like, it's our idea. So it's like, you know, Ryan Johnson's whole, his thesis statement, I guess, for Last Jedi was anyone's anyone can be special. Anyone can be anything. You can be a nobody and still be someone. And, you know, there's hope in the galaxy. And that's, you know, Broom Kid at the end and all yeah. of that. And then this film does a very great job of contradicting itself where the entire time is like nope you're only special because you're related to someone but then in the end they have that that line where like who are these people they're no they're no navy they're just people oh you mean the (laughs) exact theme that he was trying to say in the last fucking movie and then like there's just like little things that they could have done that wouldn't necessarily save the film for me but it could have made it more interesting but even like just the biggest one that i i i I just the, the last line of the film you know I'm Ray, and then she stares off for five fucking minutes, and the old lady's probably like, "What's going on?" <laughs> Ray Skywalker. I, I wish he would have just been like, "I'm just Ray." Yep, that's what Jess was saying. Yeah, like it's. <sighs> but you got to get the Rise of Skywalker thing in there because that's the title they went with, and you have to connect it back to the whole Skywalker saga because it's a Skywalker saga, <sighs> not the Ray saga. So yeah, yeah. Um, I actually think the character that. It gets the most disservice in this film is Kylo Ren. Yeah. Because what Ryan Johnson did with Kylo Ren in Last Jedi is genius to me. He's, here's this. Explain your thought. 
yeah, here's this character that everyone kind of knows has to be... When, when you see Force Awakens, you're like, oh, this character has to eventually redeem themselves. That's the immediate thought that goes in your mind when you, when you see that movie. Because that's what we're used to with this type of filmmaking. And, uh, and then Ryan Johnson also humanizes him, which I like. Ryan Johnson gives you the little speck of it of going, hey, he's not killing Princess Leia. But then what he does is he completely has that character double down on being evil. Being like, I am going to destroy everything. I hate everything. Uh, you know, trying to blow up Luke Skywalker with everything that he's got. Telling Ray that you're just going to let the past completely die. He goes on all of this, like, you know, these crazy, like rants and you end that movie going, Oh my gosh, this guy is unhinged, is unhinged. And now he is in control of everything, you know, of the biggest force that's in the galaxy, the first order. And, uh, then within like two minutes in the new one, he is now just the second bad guy again. Mm-hmm. He is now just the the pawn. Yeah, I would have loved to have seen <clears throat> what that guy could have done with the galaxy. He's like, oh, he thought the Emperor was bad. Wait until you get some Kylo Ren up in this yeah. bitch. And then, like, I think it would have been... Because then it would have also been interesting, too, with him trying to coerce Ray to the dark side. Because then it feels like um, he is trying to get his apprentice. Because... Like Yoda said in the prequels, there's always a master and there's always an apprentice. Yeah. But then it just makes Kylo the apprentice again. And I know Kylo's like, well, you know, I've got a plan, you know, we're going to kill him and all this other shit, but like... It immediately turns him into a good guy all of a sudden. Yep. Like, Uh it just feel like it's, it just, it changes so fast. And... And it goes back, in many ways, it just goes back to being every other Star Wars movie. Mm Mm-hmm. Instead of being something new. Yeah. Uh... So that's a big problem. And then they also like, you know, they hint with Luke right before uh, Luke, you know, dies. And then the... In uh, Last Jedi. Oh, yeah. He talks about uh, how he's like, you know, if you kill me, you know, I'll always be with you like your father. You know, he's like got this idea that like Kylo Ren is being haunted by his past. And that isn't explored at all in this Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, you get Han Solo later, but not really as a haunting. No. It's more of like a, oh, now you can be free of everything. What would have been great is if Kylo Ren was being kind of, in a way, like haunted by Luke. Haunted by Han a little bit in the movie. And it should have... And what I have to say, Kylo Ren, for me in these films, is the most fascinating character. And a big part of it is Adam Driver's performance. I'm not going to say mm-hmm. I'm a huge Adam Driver fan. I'm not. I'm not not a fan. I just you will be when you see. I'm Marriage sure Story. I will. Like he's becoming an actor I really like. But like going into Star Wars, I had no idea who he was. I didn't watch Girls, and I, so I didn't really know much Neither about him. Yeah. But I've grown to really like him. Yeah. Um. And what I hear me out before you before you comment on it. No, go for it. Um. He reminds me a lot of Hayden Christensen in that he is bringing everything he has to that role. Hayden Christensen was not a very good actor. And he also didn't have the great didn't have the best dialogue to work with. But one thing I noticed when I watched the movie most recently is he's trying 
he is he is acting his ass off. He's just not that good of an actor, but he's bringing everything he has to this to this part of Anakin Skywalker. Um, Adam Driver is doing the same thing. He's just a way better actor, a way better actor, and he's the he's he's the most interesting thing I've ever seen because because he is so much better of an actor. But I I love this idea like this actor who's not treating this the the work as something beneath him and i'm not saying daisy ridley or um john Boyega are doing that but or even um um plays poe again uh oscar isaac oscar isaac i just don't feel like any of them are really doing anything i don't feel like any of them believe the part that they're in and that felt that in all of them <laughs> i just feel like they can say the lines where it doesn't where it sounds convincing and they're there and they're probably having a good time the only one i feel like is actually performing is adam Drive. And that's kind of how I felt in the prequel films, where I felt like the only one who's actually trying to do a good performance and just failing at it is Hayden Christensen. That's really interesting that you say that. Uh, I'll have a few comments, I guess, to that. One is most people say that the one person that succeeds really well in that film, or in the prequels, is uh, uh, Ewan McGregor. Uh, most I like Ewan McGregor in that film quite a bit, but... I just uh, sometimes I feel like he's more doing an impersonation of blanking Alec on Guinness. Uh, Alec McGinnis as opposed to doing anything interesting. He is good in those films. I just don't feel like he was bringing anything new to the character. No, more I mean, so in more so in the third film, Revenge of the Sith. <clears throat> but yeah, I think that. All but, of their acting is the best in Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think Hayden Christensen's the best in that one as well. Yeah. Um, I think he's still getting his sea legs in part two, but like, I feel like everyone's kind of firing on that film. Because honestly, Ewan McGregor's kind of an asshole in Attack of the Clones. I'd be interested in uh, in having you talk to our friend, uh, our mutual friend, Brian Hollandike, about about this. Because... I haven't seen a lot of Hayden Christensen. I saw him in Jumper a long time ago, and I don't remember that movie very well. Uh, Brian swears that Hayden Christensen is a good actor, well, I'm sh- but I, isn't good in the prequels. And I'm he sure he is. I, I, I'm sh- if I've seen him in anything else, I, I don't. I, I don't remember mm-hmm. it. But then you also have to think like they're acting against tennis balls in a completely blue r- green room, and I think Hayden Christensen was pretty early in his career at that point oh, sure. as well. And it's it's kind of hard to act. To, against nothing yeah i mean absolutely they i i know like natalie portman struggled with it like even just like you know the, the infamous sand line you know <laughs> he is the way he's delivering it i like i said I, every scene he's in whether he's successful or not i f- can definitely see him trying to do a good performance yeah whereas i love samuel L. jackson he's there for the fucking paycheck oh yeah in every scene natalie portman well, is just kind of there what's interesting is like samuel L. jackson shouldn't be there for the paycheck because he like he basically went out of his way to make george lucas give him a role and maybe he's he's, but he's doing something he's just he's just movie. very one note. yeah he's not very good those movies but like but going back to it it's like i just i saw lots of what hayden christensen was attempting to do in what Adam Driver's doing successfully. And they don't have the they don't have the through line that the prequels do of Anakin's build. Because Anakin's story and his rise and fall to the dark side 
has a very logical and very clear yeah. through line. He's all over the place, but I can I can almost see as an actor that he's got something in his own mind that he's dealing with and he's working with, and he's got his own acting through line, <laughs> whether or not that's being shown on screen. And I will say, uh, when it comes to the sequel trilogy compared to the prequel trilogy, I think the prequel trilogy is better, but it's primarily better because of what you're saying. Um, the Both the sequel trilogy and the prequel trilogy are trilogies riddled with bad ideas or poorly executed ideas in terms of like something might be a good idea, but how it's explained is awful. I, th- I, uh, I think I, des- I described it one time as the prequel trilogy is too high concept for its own good. It's trying too many big risky ideas in some cases. Sure. And the Disney and the, the sequel trilogy is not trying enough. Well, the sequel trilogy is just schizophrenic. Yeah. The problem that's the big problem with that. Like, yeah, Force Awakens doesn't try enough ideas. That's for sure. I don't think that the next two don't. They just try different ideas, and it, yeah. they're like they're wrestling with each other. It's wrestling trying to figure out what it is yeah. as a trilogy. A- but what it does do well, um, like the acting, I feel in the sequel trilogy is pretty spot on. Yeah, some people don't look like they're giving it their A game, but the performances still are better. No than, one's bad, right? Exactly, and the same is true. Like you know, even when we were. Uh, in middle school in 2002, uh, the CGI in Attack of the Clones was looked at as being pretty bad back then even. Mm-hmm. And the CG, no one's going to complain about the CGI in these new movies. You know, no. it's pretty spot on. It's pretty good. It's kind of crazy when we when I rewatched the prequels very recently. Yeah, I agree. The CGI in Attack of the Clones isn't very good. It's also really bad in um, Phantom Menace, but there's a lot less of it. Yeah. So it kind of hides it. Totally. But the Gungans look terrible. Yeah. Um, and But then when, like, when we watch uh, the third one, it's like, holy shit, this would hold up with a lot of what's in the, the new ones. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's a little good portion of it that does. Um, but I had a point I was going to make, and I'm trying to remember what it was. Oh, since we were talking about healing before, and we're talking now about the prequels, me and Amanda were debating this. Ray being able to heal, doesn't that... I always took the healing as being a sign of the dark side, being the power of the dark side. I thought that's what well, Palpatine was leading wait a at second. with Anakin. Wait a second. What is she? Fair enough, but what? But then it also goes back to the idea of of Baby Yoda. But also, here's, here's yeah, it does. It does. Isn't which is that interesting. interesting? But <laughs> here's the thing: just because Rey is a Palpatine. Does that mean she's a Sith? Because she's been trained in the Jedi this entire time. Kylo would make more sense because he has been a Sith up until this point. Yeah, so the idea, I guess... Once again, I just feel like they don't really know their own rules. I, I, I mean, I get what they're trying to do with it. The, it's not always about training. You know, what they're trying to say with Rey. And it's a silly thing, I think, but what they're trying to say is... Uh, that some of, I guess, your force powers are inherited, right? So she's okay. inheriting, I guess, uh, the lightning from Palpatine in a sense. Okay. I guess I can buy that. <clears throat> yeah, I, it's kind of silly. I also it's had questions so about Leia and her connection to Kylo. I've been trying to explain this in my my head 
since both since the second screening, and I cannot fucking figure out the connection between like I you know get the connection between you know right. between Leia and Kylo, but why she died that one time and then her body disappeared the second time like did she what what it doesn't make any sense it, it doesn't do- make and any i was sense. really trying to come up with a way that made sense just so i didn't seem like a fucking idiot when we we're having this conversation but i cannot explain that a way where it makes sense no i don't get it um some people i've read have said that like she gave her last force power bit of force so that or her bit of life essence to help uh ben solo you know save ray but i'm like i don't get that seeing that scene like and granted maybe you don't have to make things obvious but i feel like in these types of movies you have to make it kind of obvious and that is not how i felt i was just like i just yeah. don't understand what and this i was is. also thinking so if, if palpatine made snoke mm-hmm and then Snoke gave Rey and Kylo the capability to communicate with each other and even send items back and forth to each other. Why didn't Palpatine just fucking nip that in the bud? Um, well, so, I mean, this is this goes back to, like, we don't really know what... So, is Palpatine Snoke exactly? Just yeah. in a different body? Or is he just the idea of Palpatine? And, now, and then also, like, with, with Rey being... Really, the Palpatine adds this whole idea of, like, potential incest. How so? Because in the prequels, uh, Palpatine pretty much admits to the, almost like a divine intervention type thing of being the reason that Anakin's mom got pregnant with him. Oh, there certainly is an implication that that might be the case. And I'm trying to think if the, I I read uh, the comic books too. I try to keep up with as much of Star Wars canon as I can. And I think that the, Comic books maybe affirm that too that Palpatine like, might because Anakin's mom that. doesn't that she meant there wasn't wasn't a father. Yeah, I like, guess it's not direct like right. incestual, but well, know. and it also you know is it is it a an immaculate conception like Jesus force baby right? It might be something along those lines too, uh, but you know even so, I guess maybe that's why there's a. Was it a dyad between them? <laughs> you then maybe say. you can, because me and Amanda have also been trying to figure out the math of this. When the hell was Palpatine's daughter born that this makes sense? I've been trying to figure it out. Like, rough ideas. Well, if Ray is, would you say mid-twenties? Sure. I would say her parents look to be at least in their 30s, maybe late 20s, 30, mid yep. to mid-30s. Yeah. I am trying to figure out because I can never remember how much time has passed between each movie where they okay, were a thing. I, I can help you do this, man. Cool, because I'm struggling here. So, from what I understand, um, Force Awakens takes place twenty to thirty years before uh, Return of the Jedi. I think it's like I think it's thirty years before Return of the Jedi. Rise of Skywalker takes place. Five years after after Force Awakens, so there's a thirty five year or thirty five year gap between, yeah, uh, Return of the Jedi and yeah. So I can Rise buy that Palpatine's parents were. So Palpatine's parents would have been born during the Galactic Civil War era. So right at right, you know, during a new well, you know, either. 
during the New Hope to Return of the Jedi time or beforehand? Gross. If it was like during like the original three films, gross. I assume he had a harem of women, just very much like a Morton Joe and I mean, Mad Max. But he is the emperor. Gross. All powerful. I also had to, I commented to this to Amanda when we saw uh, uh, when they had to go get the Wayfinder from uh, his vault. I love that his vault's not locked. She just walks up to it and it opens. Oh, uh, you're talking about Kylo Ren's? Wayfinder? No, the one at at the no uh, the second one. The Emperor's on the blown up Death Star. Because she had to get the Wayfinder from his vault. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just, it's it's just more of an observation. Yeah, it's like it's not yeah, locked. that's a good point. Um, or it wasn't. You didn't have to. You didn't have to get a safe cracker to get into it or anything. I guess he was on his Death Star, so he yeah didn't care. I don't know. So we we've talked a lot a lot about what we didn't like. And if there's anything else you want to add to why I just like honestly this is I could go on. This I is, mean this is my least favorite Star Wars. Uh, John Boye, uh, Finn, and um, Poe, they are completely um, forgotten about. Yeah. About a half of the way through the movie, all of a sudden their storyline doesn't matter. Um, nope. J.J. Abrams is trying to do J.J. Abrams things with Finn. This whole idea that Finn is also a Force user is stupid silly, especially when you think about how awful of a failure Finn is in Last Jedi. Like, the fact that that plotline goes nowhere. Shouldn't he have seen that if he's all of a sudden a Force user? Like, what is this yeah. crap? And, like, I can um, buy the, the George Lucas's concept of to an extent, everyone has a connection to it. Is whether or not you're open to it, but yeah, it, yeah, it's stupid to think that he's force sensitive. I want to see especially, his midichlorian level. Damn it! Especially because uh, whether people want to believe it or not, you watch Force Awakens, and it is very clear in the way that he performs that character to me that he like has a thing for Ray. Yeah. And that's okay. Romance is in Star Wars. It is okay. Romance is in practically every movie. Right. Uh, so the fact that they're like, well, let's just turn this maybe romance thing into, no, he's just a force user maybe guy is BS. And then the whole, like, the fight with the Star Destroyers is... With the horses? With the horses is bad. And even the spacey part of it, like with the fighters is like just uninteresting and then like on, on top of that, i feel like there was a very big <clears throat> wasted opportunity in all the films with finn trying to actually start a revolution with the stormtroopers thank you and also it's like he's a former stormtrooper he knows what they go through he knows that a lot of them are are, are fostered from children to be this Man, yet none of them have any problems sh- killing them and yeah. shooting them he loves murdering him some stormtroopers. And then it's like also like it just his character in Rise of Skywalker seems like such a departure from what he was in the last two films. Because the last two films, he was flat out fucking a coward who yeah. started to find his bravery. I have a hard time believing that he's just like rooting, tooting, shooting cowboy in this one yeah. with giant laser rifles. And like, I, I don't buy the fact, I could buy the fact that he would stay behind and potentially sacrifice himself for a mission. Uh, I can see that in that character in all these films, but he just seems like such an action hero in this film that it just... I, the, I so don't buy it? It's 
there's so many missed like I, so I spent the third the third time I watched this movie because I since watching it the first time I've been doing a lot of thinking about like how I would have like if I had the chance and I know this is a stupid nerdy thing to think but like if I had the chance to be like hey Kyle you you're given a chance to rewrite this movie of what I would have done with it because there are so many blown opportunities for plot lines they're so clearly there that they don't that they don't like explore and the biggest one of that is uh Hux should have been a traitor to Kylo Ren but he should have been a traitor to Kylo Ren in service of the emperor keeping him alive so that the final face off that Hux has is against Finn because those two are the mm-hmm. ones that are in that you know are in a opposition to each other. Yeah. People talk about Finn and Phasma. I'm like, yeah, that's kind of true, but it's also very true that Hux and Finn do not like each other and they represent the complete opposite of ends of the spectrum. Hux is the, you know, the guy who is in charge of the first order believes in this first order. Finn is the traitor. He's the guy who goes against them. Mm -hmm. You have Finn be a traitor to Kylo Ren giving them something that is similar they both are a traitor hux is just a traitor to the bad guys and finn is just a traitor to the good guys yeah and then you have them face off in a way where hux is this guy who believes in what the stormtroopers are doing you know he believes in this idea of harvesting the youth when they're young and making them stormtroopers and finn is showing like that those people can be saved and going back to the point that you had made you know, it's sort of the way you end that storyline is by having an uprising of stormtroopers against Hux mm-hmm. that Finn is the one in charge of. Because it just, it's just right there. That's what makes, a, a it makes good storytelling. Um, and B, it's just, it's good character-like development. Yeah. Uh, so uh, there's that stuff. Poe, he's just there to whip up a few jokes you know and he has a good speech he has a really good speech before they go into battle uh that is sort of destroyed by the fact that half of it is a voiceover um over like there's the images of basically the resistance getting ready to go into space if they would have kept on him i think that scene would have made a lot more impact and it would have shown him to be the leader that he finally became yeah i also feel like because Here's how little, like, his resurgence impacted me. I couldn't even tell you what the fuck he was talking about. Luke coming back in this film and having a speech, it's just, like, I feel like it was wasted. Yeah. Um, Especially, too, because, like, you know, you have to treat respect with your weapon. It's like that line was just thrown in there to retcon what had happened in the previous film. I think it's there to show that Luke has... Um, has grown as a character. And that, that's eventually how I explained it, but that was my original gut reaction to sure. it. Um, I don't know. I just, the more I think about it and the more I think about Ray's progression and then her eventually taking the Skywalker name and I just feel like that's everything Luke wouldn't have wanted her to do. The Luke that we were presented in these new three films, I just very much get the feeling of you need to create your own path and you need to create or even like what I think would have worked in the film. But instead of her saying Luke Sky, Ray Skywalker, 
she would have said Ray Palpatine because Leia has her whole line earlier in the film about how you can't run from who you are. True. Uh, yeah, you know, I don't... I just, I feel like, because where the Jedi Order has become, because there is no Jedi Order, it's just a couple rogue Jedis, if there's any, um, who are trying to figure out their place. And I feel like, instead of trying to, like, recreate the Jedi for what they were, you need to kind of find your own path. Sure, I do, you know... Last Jedi, um, I actually, one thing I love about it is what it, what it says about the past in terms of the good side of it. Because, uh, you know, Luke is all about destroying the past too. He wants to destroy the Jedi. Um, and Rey is the one smart enough to pick the books up, mm-hmm. take the books with her and be like, hey, no, the Jedi and the history is still important. Yeah. Um, Luke's whole thing, I think, is more like, cut up the rigidness of it and um well you know his whole i mean the whole reason why he goes to that island is so that the jedi can end mm-hmm. right and ray is the one who sees that there's still an importance in the past there's still an importance of what those jedi are but that's something too that's like it's not really explain. like it's it's one of those things that could have been expanded on in this new movie of like, okay, now Ray's got those books. It's five years later. Why isn't she teaching some new people how to yeah. use the force? And especially when you like, and her even struggling with it because like, yeah. I think that's one thing that kind of no one talks about. Luke was never, he was, he was trained to be a Jedi to an extent, but he didn't have the same training that say Obi-Wan had. Mm-hmm. He had to figure it out. He had to use these books. He had to interpret. He had to probably misinterpret yeah. A lot of what's being said, and he had no one he could call upon. I mean, she's got Leia, you know. But right, Leia learned it all from Luke, and Luke was figuring it out himself. Sure, sure. I, you know, I, I just. It's like when someone tells you yeah. a story, but they don't remember all the details, and you retell it to someone. You know. Yeah, I also think like you know they brought back, or I shouldn't say they brought back they they brought in the Knights of Ren, um, which yeah. Those Which uh, we should we should talk about that in a little bit, but you know it's another thing of like if Ray is training kids or some or you know not just kids just training force users, it very clearly could lead to a battle between the Knights of Ren and these force users. Is like oh. a, a an actual way to utilize them <laughs> that would have made some sense. But talking about them, the Knights of Ren, what the hell was that? Uh, I feel like they've been ta- they've been talking about them since what Force Awakens. Yeah, Jess has, Jess said, "Oh, they're just the Knights of Ren are just in Rise of Skywalker to get to steal all the boy band shots. <laughs> like they're just yeah. a bunch of them like standing on a hill, looking ominous and like all this crap. And they're like supposed to be the Knights of Kylo Ren, and then for no reason that anyone knows, they decide to turn on." the master of the Knights of Ren and try to fight Kylo Ren at the end. Why do they try to fight Kylo Ren at the end? I don't know. Why they turn on him? the Knights of Palpatine. Right. When did they become that? Why are they that? Uh, Why are they in this movie (laughs) too? Like, did did we actually... It was such a stupid line in The Force Awakens to just 
bring up these random things. And, like, I was kind of excited for the idea of them because, like, the way I understood the Knights of Ren to be was going off of what Luke said is, like, after he, he had the whole miscommunication of Kylo and Kylo ran off with the rest of his students, mm-hmm. I was figured, oh, here are some Jedi or some Sith warriors right. that he's trained who had a little bit of experience with the Force. Which eh. would have made sense. And it would have made sense to have them face the Jedi that Rey could have trained with all this Force knowledge in books that she has. It's like, you know, how, how, like, <laughs> do, like, balance is always the thing mm-hmm. with the Force and with Star Wars. And I feel like these prequels, these, 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 I keep saying prequels, these sequel films kind of forgot about the whole idea of balancing the Force. And even the amount of dark as, as there is to light. Yeah. It's silly. Uh, and also so the force as i've always known is as it was it was how did yoda describe it the um or maybe it was obi-wan the the it's the in-between it's the force it's the power of all living things yeah and the kinetic energy between everything yeah how the fuck did palpatine rise ships and how did he staff those so quickly and why were there so many of them? The staffing of them is silly. So, did they have a recruitment fair? On yeah, this planet that no one can get to. Right, exactly, exactly. It doesn't make any sense. It's it's one of those things too that I'm like, oh, you know what would have made sense? It would have been really cool if now that the first order has been in power for five years, they have enough regular first order star destroyers without a stupid laser cannon that they can surround a planet. And blow it up. Yeah. Like having a fleet of Star Destroyers is a good idea. Having a fleet of the Emperor's Star Destroyers that are frozen in a block of ice but have people demand them is not a good idea. I also love too that like anytime a character in the movie questions something that the screenwriter didn't have an answer for, they just get force <laughs> choked. So I was like, okay. why did Palpatine give you these? Were these a gift? Where'd they come? And all this force choke. Yeah. Get the fuck out of here. Why was he? I don't, I still, I'm like, why did he get force choked? Like, and then, and then the guy who takes over for Hux, are we supposed to know who this guy is? You know, and that's another thing too. It almost feels like you're supposed to know who yeah, he is. Yeah, because like, I served you in the last one. Uh-huh. I'm like, did you? Right, exactly. Who are you? And he looks vaguely familiar. But he's definitely not. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, th- that actor, Richard E. Grant is great oh i'm gonna try i'm forgetting the name of the movie there's a movie that came out i believe last year with melissa mccarthy um that is the right the writer the movie yeah. with the writer. yeah it's on it's on hbo right now i want to watch check it. that movie out he's really good in it he's very good in it um here he just plays a so villain that we, we we've spent the last like what is it hour What's the front time on this? Uh, hour and fifteen minutes. You might need to make this two episodes. Fuck I don't no. know. It's gonna be. <laughs> it's gonna be one. Um, so, well, I guess we'll see how far this this continues out because <laughs> this might be a logical break. Um, so we've we've talked about a lot, but what we don't like about the movie. I'm trying to think of things that I did like, and I'm sure they exist. Like say, like set design, or you know. <laughs> things like that you mean there's the dumb shit should. that i'm sure i enjoy sure. that so, i can that i right. can grasp on right i like the robot that doesn't like being touched he's kind of cool no thank you i just me and amanda just walk into each other all the time and just say no thank you all the time just because we think it's funny as hell it doesn't serve the story but we think it's funny where would you put this movie in your rankings 
Oh, we, so we're I not even going to talk about what we like about. Do the you movie. have stuff? Because I don't. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, it's there. <laughs> it's there. I'm sure. I uh, just don't. I can't grasp it. Yes. Um. I will. I'll say a few. Tell things me what you like. Just uh, maybe it'll jog some, my memory. Because it's funny. Uh, I recently went into um, one of the places that I freelance for, and I had a very long discussion. And I, at the time, this was before I saw it the third time, and I went, "Oh yeah, I, I'm content with this movie." And then I proceeded to say all of these things, these things I don't like about the movie. And then the guy went, oh, so what do you like? And I, at the time, I was like, I don't know if I like anything. Um, I will say I like a few things. I think Babu Frick is a fun character. Uh, that's the character that... Uh, yeah, yeah, I remember. Yeah, that... Voiced by the actress who did Moaning Myrtle in Harry Potter. Very weird, but... Yeah. He's fun. He's a fun little addition to the universe. It's C-3PO's oldest friend. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I also think that uh uh Zori Bliss, the like rogue person that Poe okay. knows. I think she's actually a good character. I think she'd be cool if we got to, we got a little more with her, but I agree with that. Especially because the way that she was written it felt very much like we were supposed to really know who this character just cuz it's like Zori's here like all this like was this the first time we've seen her. It's hard for me to like feel your excitement, Poe. Well, he's not excited. He's scared. No, no, near the end of the film when like they're oh, doing the yeah, whole like, yeah, yeah. But that's the whole ending of that movie is paced. Yeah. Anyway, so you like you liked her. I thought it was cool that we never saw her face. I thought that was kind of neat. I liked um I actually think oddly enough the part where I got the most emotional was when she hands him that chip so they can get on the Star Destroyer. Yeah, I like that. And she's like just go and like help your friend or whatever. Like I thought for that moment worked really well. Um, especially for a character that we don't know a whole lot about. I thought they were able to convey what they needed to convey with her for us to have That was her save the cat moment. Yeah. If you're familiar with the book Save the Cat, that was her save the cat moment. So uh, that's something I really liked. Um, I'm trying to think of, you know, and the planet that they're on too during that time, I think is a really cool planet. That sort of snowy. Yeah, we don't thing. get. Yeah, we ain't got snow much. Yeah, and I love the fact that like uh, we get to see the first order occupy like a place. What that's like mm-hmm. to be under first order occupation, because in general, the movies, whether they're in whatever like, doesn't matter what era they're in, you never see that enough of like what's it actually like to be under the. Imp- emperor's rule under the first order's rule you get that a little bit with tatooine like you you see that the stormtroopers are walking around trying to do some you know stuff but uh for a film that takes place five years after last jedi where the first order is reigning supreme like i wanted to see more of that and that gave me a little bit of yeah that and i like that about it uh i'm not sure if there's much else i like i really liked the the celebration planet there like the planet they went to when they're in like the big party like where they're like having like the color festival or whatever. Oh sure. I remember thinking yeah. that entire sequence is cool because it's kind of nice to see yeah. something in Star Wars that's not so fucking dire. Here it is a planet yep. where you know this is a big celebration for them. It's kids having fun. You know, even though they're under, you get the idea that they're under first order reign. It's like it's it's nice to see people celebrating something and yeah, totally having fun. A hundred percent. And that is a fun... No, it, it did remind me, though, of one thing that did annoy Another thing that annoyed me about the movie. <laughs> so, since they they, they they kept trying to, you know, really lay it on thick that uh, Poe has a, has a shady past. Poe has a shady past. Oh, it's like when 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 he hot-wired the vehicle and it was like, how do you know how to do that? It's like, 
Is it just me or do I have not have a hard time believing right. that a guy who works for the Rebel Alliance right. or whatever they're called yeah, now, yeah, yeah. who is a star pilot, knows how to hotwire something? Exactly. But like Finn said it like three or four times throughout the movie. It's like, are we going to talk about your shady past? And it's like, what about that made you think? Like, <laughs> yes, I agree. I feel with like you. if I was a really good pilot or a really good driver, and I and technically all the rebels are technically outlaws, I feel like it's a trick you'd pick up. Yes. I. I am not a convict, but I taught myself how to pick a lock. There you go. It's a, it's a really stupid thing. Like, I like that uh, through Zori, we get some of Poe's past. Yeah. And understand he that has he has nothing. Right. And I like that we get, like, oh, we get the fact that he has this sort of checkered past. That's cool. But you're completely correct in that being the wrong way to hint at it. Because, yeah, what rebel wouldn't be able to... To hot wear I feel something like it's first class to get out of a first order situation of course yeah it's a it's a very silly thing yeah um i, I liked raise yellow lightsaber i thought that was i did cool. too and the way that she flicks it on that is was cool yeah, it was like, yeah, it was yeah. Like, nice. uh, i like that lando's in the movie i don't think he's uh i think that i, I think uh, if he would have been at the first part like in in like the little like village yeah i felt like there was a little too much lando that we needed yeah. Because, like, I don't know, like, I, I just... Even in the original three films, I never viewed Lando as, like, a rebel hero. I feel like he kind of got roped into it, and he's friends of Han, so he's going to help. Totally. But, like, I just never... General Lando! I'm like, mm, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I yeah, I love Lando. He's a I do, too. Just... I'm glad that he's back in the series. And I think what I really like about it uh, in this movie is... It's nice to see that Billy D. Williams can still play him. Yeah, he, he seemed like he was having a good time yeah. playing him, too. I also love, unrelated to Billy D. Williams, that Ray's master plan was to go fucking bury the lightsabers in fucking Tatooine. I don't. I know some people have uh, shit on that. I don't mind. It. I just think it's funny. Like, yeah. of all the places. Yeah, I'm like, okay, I get, I get it from the... Leia's, a... Leia's never been there. Well, yeah, she has. She's... Uh, you know, a slave to a oh, big fair enough. slug. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Now let's go bury her. Let's say where she was a sex slave to a slug. Yeah. Um, I just think it's... I, I love seeing the location back on screen, but like my thought process was like, last time Luke was here, he was looking at his, his aunt and uncle being pulverized. <laughs> uh, or he was saving his sister from being a sex slave to a slug. It's fun. It sucks. I, I don't mind it from a storytelling perspective. It's nice, but it's... Yeah. It is uh, the thing that I dislike about that scene. Well, there's two things. <clears throat> I think the CGI of their ghosts are really bad. Uh, Luke and Leia's ghosts. I, I guess I've never thought any of the Force ghosts looked that particularly good, so I guess I never really cared uh, enough. In the original trilogy, I feel like the Force ghosts are pretty good, and I thought Yoda's Force ghost was pretty good in Last, uh, Last Jedi. Okay. But um, the other thing that is a very minor thing, but I knew it bothered me from the moment i saw or heard it the first shot on tatooine you see her like fly the falcon past jawas and a sand crawler which is a very tatooine thing but they're like ah i don't know if people are going to understand that these are jawas so they add in like the jawa noises like the utini which i love that line but it is so out of place in that moment Mm -hmm. that it, it just it's like, oh, you didn't need to do that. People get it. Like, they get where you are. 
You don't need to add yeah. that line to make sure we get it. Um, so that was that's a, a very minor complaint compared to everything else that we talked about. Yeah, I've got little minor complaints too. That except if, if there was just these minor complaints, it wouldn't yeah. have hurt the movie for me. Like J.J. Abrams putting cameos for all of his friends in there. Yeah. Did we did we need did we need Dominic Monaghan or Greg Grunberg? Because the complaints online are that Rose didn't have enough to do. Couldn't you have just given Rose all those characters' lines? So I've heard that. Uh, yeah, there's a. Oh, and the last thing was especially during the first scene with with Poe and Finn, all these fucking weird alien creatures that are on the Falcon for some reason now that we're supposed to know. Slug thing. Just win the war, that guy. And like, eh, who are these people? I don't mind that guy. I minded the slug a little yeah, bit. The slug guy was weird. But anyways. Um. Oh, what was I going to say? Something about uh, Rose, Dominic Monaghan. Oh, yeah, yeah. So there is a... There, there's a lot that's going around about this movie, obviously. Yep. One of, a, one of the big things is that there's... Just like there's a Zack Snyder cut, there's a J.J. Abrams cut. Now, apparently there's also a George Lucas cut. That where I Where he recut the ending. And, oh, wow. Yeah, that's, okay. that's what I've been hearing. Um, but I've heard about this J.J. Abrams cut that's supposed to be like three hours long. As a Star Wars nut, of course, I'm interested... Yeah. In it, uh, I don't think it will save the movie. I think the movie's probably. Yeah, I'd be intrigued to see it. I'd right watch it again that. for that. But I would watch that. Um, in that cut is apparently more with Rose. I've heard with, that as well. Yeah. And more with Leia and all that too. So Which that stuff already was kind of. Yeah. It's. it's and it's like, good. before I knew how they did it, it, it still felt weird. Yeah. Because, like, I knew it wasn't natural and something about it just seemed off. But then when I found out how they did it, too, it felt especially rigid. Yeah, so it's very strange. All right, and that is part one of me and Kyle's Star Wars conversation. We realize after being, what, an hour and 20 minutes in that it's getting kind of long and we still want to talk about Star Wars as a whole. So we are going to break this up. And next week you can continue our conversation about everything to do with Star Wars, but more realistically, how, how much we how much I might actually like the prequels. So join us next week. You can find us on pretty much every form of podcast listening service available. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Libsyn, Stitcher. Um, we are on you know Twitter, Instagram, all that. Um, and we just launched a Patreon for the podcast, which is pretty exciting. You can find us, uh, I think it's patreon.com slash shameless picture show. We have a $1 tier, which gets you a verbal shout out on the show. Um, and our deepest gratitude, a $5 tier where you get exclusive bonus audio, where you can actually hear an episode where me and Kyle just talk about, talk pretty in-depthly about, not in-depth, but we talk about uh, marriage story, the blocking that went into our philosophies on blocking when it comes to films and then just a little bit of everything else as well. And then we have, uh, and that's under the $5 tier, which also gets you a sticker. And then, uh, we have a $50 tier, which we don't expect many people to subscribe to, but we get it all the time where people have ideas for episodes or even want to be on an episode. So what you get by joining the $50 tier is you get to be on an episode or choose a, um, choose a subject that you want to hear us talk about. The sticker, you get the thank you, get all that. And you get an exclusive button as well that we've had made. So, yeah, you can check us out there. You have any thank yous you got to do? 
Uh, I don't have the list. In f Actually, uh, yes, I do, because we only have two of them right now. So let me do the thank yous for Patreon. I don't know if this is going to be our first episode back from for season four, or if it's going to be second or third or something like that. So these people might get thanked more than once, but who cares? So we have two new patrons for the Patreon. We have uh, Robert Ward, also known as Flounder. He's a, a friend of mine from that I met through another mutual friend. Um, and then Joshua Barnes. So both of them are new patrons and expect some cool stuff soon. The Shameless Picture Show is recorded in Milwaukee, Wisconsin and Easton, Maryland, is hosted and produced by Nick Richards and Michael Viers, and is more often than not edited by Michael Viers. Any TV or YouTube versions of the show to date have been edited by Nick Richards, Tyler Hanna, or Dina Villani. Our opening theme music was written especially for us by The Directionals with narration from Zach McLean. The end credit music you're enjoying at the moment was generously provided by my friends in the band 10 Speed, and our new kick-ass logo was designed by Amanda Byers. A special thank you to all of our Patreon supporters and to our generous sponsors at Mill Creek Entertainment and Vinegar Syndrome. We are on Spotify, Stitcher Radio, iTunes, Google Play, and Libsyn. You can find links to all these tremendous votes, as well as the show, in the description below. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe.